look at you. Thanks, Adam. Kurt moved this forward, but I really want it back. Okay. So this is, um, this is Zeke. He's a little flopsy, it's okay. I thought you'd want to see him. Yeah. Okay. Apparently we're done now. Have a good day. Can I sit here? Um, it went a little differently than Kurt said. I'm sure you know that already though, right? <laughs> um, one of my friends texted me this week and she's like, oh, super mom, had a baby, now preaching. No, 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 here's the thing. When you know you're gifted from the Lord and he's the one empowering you, it's like you can't not. Do you know what I mean? So this is not, I mean, my house is not clean. There are dishes in the sink. I, laundry needs to be done. There's no super mom. It's, it's a myth, mythical creature. The super mom, right, ladies? Um, but here's how, it, here's how it went down. I was talking to Eric Lee a couple weeks ago, and I said to him, so when are you going to preach next? And he's like, well, kind of you did that, right? You're like, well, we'll just see if Kurt asks me. And I was like, Eric, is it your gift or is it Kurt's? Like, who's your manager? Uh, did the Holy Spirit empower you or are you just going to sit? I was kind of rude, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> normal. Normal. Perfect. Um, and I just said, I just think you should be reading ahead in Luke and asking the Lord what's next, you know? Kurt shouldn't have to be the one being like, oh, who should I have preached next? This is the body. We're gifted. God's empowered you. Do something about it, right? And, you know, there's this thing in our culture where we're like, well, don't self-promote. If it's the Holy Spirit, it's not self-promotion, it's body-spirit promotion, right? We want the body to be healthy and whole, and your gift has to be in the mix. If you are not using your gift, shame on you. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> not shame. Just use it. Don't be afraid. This is not self-promotion, okay? God's plan is that he uses the people he made. That's his plan. So get on it, okay? Anyway, Eric left, and then I felt really uh, guilty or convicted because I had not read ahead because I had lots of good excuses. Like, I was like a week post-C-section, so I still had like stitches and stuff. <laughs> like, lots of good reasons, right? I could barely walk. I could barely think. I was on like narcotics or something. These are all good excuses for not... <laughs> But I felt like, you know what, I need to read ahead. So I read ahead thinking, you know, God would give me something three to six months from now because he's a good God and he would not make a sleep-deprived person do this. But it was like the next passage right away. And so that's when I, I, I emailed Kurt and said, I am in no condition to preach. I have a core belief about uh, me not having a microphone when... I'm sleep deprived. Um, but as we talked about it, he was like, I just really think you should think about it and pray about it. And so then it was during last week's sermon where I was like, oh man, it's like part B. It's the second part to everything Kurt was saying last week. So I've had no sleep. 
I'm off the narcotics, though, so that's good. And you know what? It doesn't matter, because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's it, right? Okay, so today we're in Luke 9. Grab your Bibles. Sorry if you didn't get the heads up about bringing your Bibles. Because <laughs> Kurt always has it on screen, but I like the paper one. So as I was praying about, um, praying about today, funnily enough, it was rainy when I prayed. You need to know that. Because the picture he gave me was of sunshine, looking through a window at sunshine. Funnily enough, we've had a whole week of it now. So it's like a real thing. But when I prayed, it was like a prophetic vision. So <laughs> um, and I was looking out of this window into this gorgeous sunny day, and you could tell it was warm out there. You know, The sun was shining, the grass was green, the skies were blue. And it's that kind of day that we know in Seattle you do not stay inside during, right? We know when the sun comes out, do not waste that day. Change your plans. Hold your meetings outside, whatever you can do, right? And what I felt like was it was a... Um, an image of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that that beautiful day is him, the Holy Spirit. And we are sitting on the inside of a house, looking out at that through a window, observing the Holy Spirit. But something was keeping us from being in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So you can have a great view of the Holy Spirit through a window, right? But then you're just an observer. You're not a partaker. And I feel like today's message is getting us outside of that house, into the sunshine, into the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there are things that just hold us back from him. And I feel like in this series, we keep making little pit stops like this, where it's just like a little refining. I don't think anything today is brand new. I don't think I don't think anyone in this room will be surprised by anything today. But I think it may have crept back into our lives when we weren't realizing. So it's just a little tune-up. Does that make sense? Are you with me on it? Down for a tune-up? Okay. Um, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is just for us to know God. I mean, he doesn't really need us, right? And yet he says we can be a part of his plan. And it's so we would know him. He's setting us free so we can know him. Um, so anyway, it's a good thing. Now let's talk about the hard stuff. <laughs> Luke 9, 49. Oh, I didn't have Josh pray for me. Yeah, honey, could you pray for me? Thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you for bringing us here um, so we can be in your presence and with your children, Father. Um, Father, I just ask that you would um, encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, lead us closer to you, Father. Um, I just thank you for just, thank you for speaking uh, your life into her, and I just ask that you would uh, speak through her and let our hearts, our minds, our spirits be open to what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Do you guys all have coffee? You know, you can have one to two cups when you're pregnant and have a newborn. Just saying. <laughs> I'm going to be sipping the whole time just to stay awake. Um, all right. You got Luke 9:49. Okay. And John said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Um, another version, actually. Let's look at this. Click. Thank you. It's not working, but that's okay. I'll just say click. In Australia, this is a click. Did you know? In, you guys say snap, right? To me, snap is like snap. That doesn't make sense to me. Click. So when I say click, you can all do that, and then he can click. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> uh, John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop. In the NLT, it says we tried to stop him, but here it's, I love this. <coughs> Because this is more what we see from the disciples. They're a little, um, like, bold about stuff sometimes. Um, and I have to say, I am so with them in this moment. Because, hello, if you aren't being trained by Jesus, what are you doing using his name to cast out demons? I mean, what is the point? That's not okay, right? And there are other passages where people are doing that kind of thing and Jesus shuts them down. Or the, uh, a Paul shut down, Simon the sorcerer, right? There are, like, there are situations where this is not okay. And so I'm with the guys right now. Some random guy is casting out demons in the name of Jesus and I'm not sure he even knows him because he's not part of our group. So I told him to stop. Step back from those demons. It's not your job. You're not one of us. And Jesus said, man, you guys, you've missed it. If he's not against me, he's for me. That's weird. That's, that's a wide like, group of people. If you're not against Jesus, you're for him. That's wide, isn't it? Now, later in Luke, he says, if you're not for me, you're against me. So... That's not as wide, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, as with all of the things that Jesus is teaching us, there's always more than just the one comment, right? The Bible is big because there's a lot, uh, there's lots going on all at the same time. But in this moment, what I felt like the speed bump for me was, I am cutting people out of God's kingdom that are actually part of God's kingdom. And I just didn't realize it. Okay, you got my attention, God. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So why? Why would I have this attitude? Like, where does it come from? I mean, I, I want to defend the holiness of God. I want to defend his name. I want to defend his ministry. I don't want any old Yahoo doing crazy stuff, calling it Jesus, ending up on the news, and then me having to be ashamed again that somebody was saying they were a Christian and they are just being a weirdo. Right? 
I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could shut down the weirdos? <laughs> that could be good for us, right? I mean, that's good PR and marketing for Jesus, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you like to have this kind of authority? Yeah, I saw someone who wasn't quite really knowing Jesus, so I shut him down. I told him to stop. I'd like to have that party trick up my sleeve. I see them like valiantly defending Jesus, and Jesus never asked them to, you know? And I, I don't think they were bad-hearted, but I think what happened in that moment is they were pulling out hoops for people to jump through to prove that they could be trusted and minister for Jesus. You know? And I think I've done that. Have you? Someone comes along and you're like, well, let's just see. Let's just, let's just put out a few little hoops for you before you join our ministry team. We want to know what your character is. These are good. Anyone with me here? This is a good process. Vetting, screening, getting to know people. And yet there is something going on here that is keeping us inside the house, looking out at the spirit and not actually in the spirit. So, can we dig into this together? Okay. <laughs> I love you guys. My cheerleaders in the front. Um, who can the Holy Spirit use? Anyone? For reals, do you believe it? Do we believe he can use anyone? Okay, prerequisites for being used by the Holy Spirit. What are they? Do you need to know Jesus? Zach says you kind of need to know Jesus. Need to be alive? Okay, so here's what I think about what Zach said. I think that if, if people know Jesus, then the Holy Spirit can use them to the nth degree, right? With full participation. Also, I think that people who don't know Jesus can be a tool in the Holy Spirit's hand in our lives. Not indwelled with the Spirit, thank you. Yeah, there's a difference between relationship with the Spirit. You would need to know Jesus for that, yes? Um, but the Spirit is working, you know? In fact, I've learned some really important lessons from the Lord from people who do not know Him at all. Anyone else? <laughs> yeah. And the problem with our hoops is that Jesus tore down hoops. His whole life, ministry, death, and resurrection was to get rid of the law, the system, the hoops, the performance, right? He was fulfilling it and ending that system. And there we are pulling out our cute pink hoops for people, or whatever color you like. Mine are probably pink, I think. And making people jump through them. You know, last week Kurt talked about um, Galatians 3, Galatians 5. We're set free from justification by living according to the law. We're set free from that. So I was praying through this passage with the Lord, and it actually made me, like, gasp and cry a little bit because I may do it again. <laughs> when I hold out a hoop and make you jump through it, it's like I'm saying, Jesus, death wasn't good enough for you. 
Man, that's bad, isn't it? Do we do this to each other? You know, there's a tension between grace and holiness, isn't there? Because we know that God deserves our purity and our holiness, and we want people to be walking before him with um, care, right? And yet, his blood covers all of our blunders, and he flows with grace, And he didn't ask us to be representatives for, like, gatekeepers to the body. We're not the gatekeepers to the body. He didn't ask us to do that. Now, yes, we are meant to be in fellowship and relationship, and we're meant to be speaking into each other's lives about sin and different things that we're seeing, right, in each other. That comes from community. Absolutely. But not with hoops. Uh, I think our hoops come from traditions. You know, well, traditionally, Christians are this, that, and that. So, no Christians can't behave this way or that. You know, like traditions, right? But they're not actually biblical, they're just traditional. Or culture. Man, culture. It's really easy in Western cultures that were founded with God-fearing people to think that their culture and biblical culture are same, same. Our culture is not biblical culture. It's not. Um, And it's tricky to discern, isn't it? (laughs) Because you're like, wait, I just had a visceral reaction to this situation. Is God offended or is that just me and my culture? You know, but we go on autopilot and we just fall back on our culture because that's what we know the best, you know? Man, offenses, past offenses, past baggage, those are some hoops, you know? Well, I know people like you. I know how this is going to go down, and I'm not going to trust you or let you in my life because I have walked through this before, hoop, jump through this before I let you have access to me, you know? Those past offenses. By the way, if you want a good book on offenses, Bait of Satan by John Bevere, thank you. It's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Do you want write it down? Bait of Satan. It's, it's kind of a weird name, but it's um, helpful to remember it. <laughs> but it changed my life reading that book. Um, so, water break. If anyone else needs to drink, this is your chance. Hi, water. We used to say hi, water to, in youth group. Youth group memory. I need a tissue. Does anyone have one? All the ladies just went forward into their purses. All of them. I watched like this mass like. (laughs) That was awesome. Um, A whole box. That's provision, I tell you. Hope I don't need all of them. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, All right. I'm going slowly today because I, I don't trust my brain. Is that okay? <laughs> you know, last week Kurt said, um, God is not concerned with the same things that we are. And I just, man, we should put that up everywhere in our lives, right? 
Because when we get concerned about stuff that God isn't concerned about, I think that is like this hoop-making realm. <laughs> like, a, that really bothers me. And God doesn't seem to be bothered by it. So I guess I'm going to have to set out hoops because he's not doing his job. <laughs> All right, I'm going to p- play a clip from last week. Um, this is at the end of the service, and Eric was sharing, and this was kind of the, pretty much the point where I was like, I didn't say click, guys. What, what happened? <laughs> um, yeah, so have a listen to this and, and see what happens with your heart and your hoops as, you, as we listen. I think you'll have to rewind and pump that volume. I was just struck by... Thank you, guys. So I'm Eric, and uh, I was looking at the the second question of what does it mean to our lives, and I was just struck by the idea that once we start to orient our thinking or to, to really start to grasp how God has grace and love for us, then step two is that we reflect that out to the people around us. Yeah. Just as God doesn't care about our sins, I mean, he does, but he doesn't, we should have that same relationship with the people around us, that we don't care about their sins, about their failing. I mean, we do in the sense that we want them to be better people, but we don't carry that grudge against them and you lay it down and you lay it down and you lay it down and you don't hold it against them you don't let problems interrupt your relationships and so it's not only that God is having that grace for us I mean it starts there but we also feed that out to other people you know man I just love that don't let problems interrupt your relationships don't carry that grudge doesn't that just hit your heart? It's like, man, that is totally where my hoops come from. And you lay it down and you lay it down. Man, I think that's God's heart. That is grace and love practically, isn't it? Can I tell you what, I, what the world's version of this is? Tolerance. Uh, it's funny to me that people are so passionate about tolerance. Because I've been tolerated a few times in my life, and it doesn't feel good. So I don't know why they're like, got to have tolerance. I'm like, do you really want me to tolerate you? That's the kind of relationship you want? You want me to have tolerance for you? How, how is that the highest goal? How is that the best thing we can give each other? You know what I think tolerance is? Well, you want me to not say what I really think and to smile and say I love you instead, but it's not real love because I'm tolerating you. That's what I think tolerance is. Man, what a counterfeit. (laughs) What a trade down. Man, that's horrible. Isn't it? Tolerance, please. Well, just because uh, it's in our culture, I think that it has come into the church. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it, it should have been that we were living out this grace, love, powerful thing in the body of Christ, right? It should have been that, and then the world could have looked at us and been like, wow, whatever they have, that's what's missing from culture. Sadly, 
we were not living it out. And so they had to invent a counterfeit to satiate their angst, right? Well, we're going to call it tolerance. And now that has seeped into the church instead of us affecting culture. It's a bummer, right? So now we have tolerance in our little church settings all over the world and all over the, you know, especially over the US. I don't know about what's happening in the rest of the world with tolerance. Um, but now we are tolerating each other. And I think in order for tolerance to happen, you need hoops. Because if we disagree, but we have a mutual hoop that we can jump through together, then we could tolerate being around each other. If we could just find one thing in common, and we'll ignore the rest, right? Because that's tolerance, right? And then that's how the body of Christ is functioning. Well, that's not going to work. <laughs> the body of Christ is knit together. Passionate love, unity, like, I mean, a body connected. My body does not tolerate each other. The parts of <laughs> is my battery pack in the wrong place. The parts of my body um, that are working together are are like systems in um, like synergy, harmony, unity. Right? There's no tolerance happening. <laughs> mm. So I. Uh, Being in the body means being connected to really horrible sinners. Tolerance isn't going to work. At the end of the day, we need something more. Um, so I... <laughs> don't be mad when I say this. I feel like tolerance is holding people at arm's length. Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to hold you right there. If we are holding people who the Holy Spirit is using at arm's length... Who are we actually holding at arm's length? The Holy Spirit. God. Yikes. <laughs> it makes me think um, this whole passage makes me think, do I miss God moving what I think about the people he's moving through? Uh, so... Uh, um, I was uh, interning at another Foursquare church, uh, a large church when I first moved to the States, and um, a new student ministries director came on staff and had this huge meeting with all of the, um, the leaders and interns and everyone and said, we are launching an evangelism program. Great, right? That's a good thing. Awesome. So we're listening to his whole pitch. It was great. And at the end, I put up my hand and I said, so does the Wednesday night discipleship program continue, you know, continue? No, we're focusing on one thing. We're shutting down the discipleship program. It was my discipleship program. <laughs> I had spearheaded that sucker. I had raised teams. We had developed leaders. We were passionate. We had so many kids coming. It was a thriving, amazing thing. I was mad, so mad. Who is this guy Man, well, he doesn't know what's going on in the, in the spirit realm. He's like shutting down stuff that's fruitful, right? I was so mad, so mad. 
So uh, a few days later, I ran into one of our junior high kids. Junior high kid, okay? Picture junior high kid. She says to me, I was praying for you. I don't know why. You just came to mind. And God gave me a picture of a cross. And it was a Catholic cross with the a, with a body of Jesus on it. Right? Picturing it. And she said, I, I looked up at the cross. And you know what? There was a cutout of your face stuck on Jesus. <laughs> and I feel like God is saying to you, you didn't die for anyone. Stop your attitude. Okay. Junior high kid. Okay. I am so uh, glad to be able to report to you that I put down my hoops and I accepted a corrective word from a junior high kid. Do you know why? Because she couldn't fabricate that. Do you know what I mean? That's not stuff that junior high kids sit around making up to say to adults right? It was clear to me that the Holy Spirit had spoken to her and, uh, and that I was humble enough to receive it. I could have held out hoops, right? Well, you're a junior high kid. What do you know? We don't even believe in crosses with Jesus still on them. That's not a word from the Lord, right? You could have... Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. She actually also wrote a song about it. <laughs> Look at the cross. What do I see? It's a picture of a cutout of a face of me. That's what, yeah, the chorus. Because she's a junior high kid, so of course she had to write a song about it. Because they're cool like that. Adults don't go to that extra length of, you know, when the Holy Spirit moves. Chris, could you start writing songs from all the words that you give to people? Step it up. <laughs> the yellow pages. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> um, so. The Axe Church was wonderful, right? The Axe Church. We always talk about the Axe Church, how wonderful it is, right? Axe Church. Acts 15, which Kurt says is 15 years post-ascension. Is that right, Kurt? Yes. Um, so 15 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, this is where we're at. Um, so, you know, Paul is going around to all the Gentile churches and preaching a freedom to them. Like, a, like you're, you've been accepted in. And, and you don't have to be circumcised. This is fantastic, right? This great gospel. Well, 15 years post-ascension, the Jewish converts had started going back to their old ways and they'd started like jumping through hoops again, hoops that abolished, right? So let's read this together real quick. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, lie. Right? Not true? That's not how we're saved. Right? We're not saved by works? Right. Okay, so we're all in agreement. Wrong. This is wrong. Barnabas, I'm going to have to turn this way. It's a battery pack. Do you know, that's why it cuts out. All right, there we go. 
Uh, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. We never get to use that word. It's great, vehemently. Like, imagine Paul, like, red-faced and spitting. <laughs> That's vehemently. You know what I mean? He's mad. This is not how we're saved, right? Um, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas and some local guys to the apostles and elders about this question. So here we head to the council in Jerusalem. So I'm, I'm skipping through. This is a very long passage, so I'm skipping through to just some highlights for us, okay? Some Pharisees insisted, this is now Paul in Jerusalem, they're all talking about it, a lot of talking. Some Pharisees insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Hoops, 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 jump through our hoops. Jump through the hoops that Jesus tore down. We're putting them back up because we like him so much. Make those Gentiles jump through these hoops problem. After a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me, I can read it from down here, from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Truth, right? This is good, Peter. You go, Peter, right? You preach it because this is truth. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Yeah? Amen. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Yeah? Rocket, Peter. That's the way to do it, right? James stood and said... My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Yeah, James. Like this is, you guys, this is traditional Judaism and the new free message of the gospel. You've been set free, clashing. Okay? This is monumental, <laughs> what's happening here right now. And don't you feel it? They've caught the spirit. They've caught the heart of the Lord. They're headed in the right direction, yeah? Exciting. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Let's just give them four hoops instead of a million. Because we don't want to burden them. Because we're saved through Jesus by faith. So let's just keep four hoops. What went wrong? <laughs> what happened? That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> for these laws of Moses have been preached in the Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Makes me want to sing tradition, tradition. That's what he's saying there. We've been doing this for so long. If they want to be a part of our church, they're going to have to do these things so we can... Honestly, so they can break bread. These are the laws that made you clean enough to break bread with a Jew. Because what happens if I run into a Gentile believer and it's kind of dinner time and then I have to eat with them? That would defile my conscience. But if they do these four things, 
then I can be in relationship with them. We can, you know, these little hoops, and then we can tolerate each other because I don't actually like Gentiles. It's, they're not really God's children, you know. Do you sense this struggle that they're having? It gets worse, can I say? <laughs> Here is the letter that they sent with Paul back to the Gentile churches. This horrible little letter. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. I would not be using the Holy Spirit's name in this letter like that because <laughs> I don't believe that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not grace. It's not what the Holy Spirit is doing. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols. Do you guys know if you're eating food that's offered to idols? Well, you're part of a Gentile church, and this was the edict to establish Gentile churches. So you had better start working out if your food has been offered to idols because it seemed good to the Holy Spirit that you should be living this way. Write that down. Research your food. Okay. From consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals. Uh, does that mean rare steak is out? No? You've worked it out? <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> I don't know if our animals are strangled. I mean, I've seen some documentaries about the beef industry. <laughs> Maybe they have been. I don't know. I'm not doing this one. Anyone else? Gentile Church? And from sexual immorality. Well, there's one that we're still kind of holding on to. Except a new generation is having a hard time with this and they're calling out for tolerance but here's the worst part of it if you do this you will do well farewell <laughs> don't call us we'll call you we would love for you to be part of our church here's the thing do these things and never talk to us again. Farewell, Gentile church. This is holding at arm's length, wouldn't you say? This is like, yeah. You know what? It's like, uh, well, Jesus might, you know, Jesus can save whoever he wants, but I don't have to like it. And I don't have to, like, interact with them. Is that the tone? That, do you hear what I'm, am I the only one that's feeling this? This is the weirdest passage. Uh, I've loved talking to Kurt about this, actually, because I'm like, oh, this is such an awkward, like, <laughs> so awkward. What happened here? Um, oh, man. Anyway. Yuck. <laughs> Farewell. Um, there's a great article that's in Relevant magazine, and I'd like to... <laughs> I just put my arm on the battery pack. It's like in a bad mood today, the battery pack. It's tolerating me. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's read this together and, and, you know, open your heart and let it hit you. Being a Christian doesn't always look like you think it should. Churches need to ditch their religious cookie cutters by Preston Sprinkle. It's a real person. <laughs> Is that cool? Preston Sprinkle. Okay. 
Christian subcultures are, are, an, are an entertaining phenomenon. Multiple brands of Christianity claim the same Lord and read the same Bible, and yet they promote a set of values sometimes as different as apples and orangutans. I once heard a story about a Christian woman from the East Coast who confronted a West Coast youth pastor who allowed mixed bathing. What? At youth events, I can't believe any so-called Christian leader would allow boys and girls to swim together. Oh, that kind of bathing. Got it. Um, she expressed her concern all, wipe, all, all while puffing on a cigarette. I attended a conservative brethren church when I lived in Scotland. Some of the women wore head coverings and none of them spoke in church. Guilty. Um, when I had our Irish pastor and his wife over for dinner, I asked them what he would like to drink. Beer, please, the preacher said. And for you, madam, I'll take a glass of Chardonnay, thank you. Are they liberal or conservative? I guess it depends on which subculture you come from. When you try to cut out Christians with a religious cookie cutter, you not only tarnish diversity, but you trample on grace. It's one thing for Christian subcultures to cultivate unique values, but it becomes destructive when those values are chiseled on cyanotic tablets for all to obey, like the Ten Commandments coming down from Sinai. It's even worse when Christians expect instant holiness from recent converts. Holiness, that is, in areas where we think we've nailed it. Oh, you should behave better in that area because I'm really good at it. Let's not talk about all the areas that you're really bad at. Grace means that we are all works in progress. Thank Jesus. Works in progress. And God shaves off our rough edges in his timing. Thank Jesus. <laughs> oh, just look at the thugs God works with in the Bible. <laughs> you cannot sanitize grace. You can't stuff it into a blue blazer and make it wear khakis. Grace is messy, offensive, and it sometimes misses church, but not too often. <laughs> to expect God to pump prefabricated plastic moral people out of a religious factory is to neuter grace and chain it inside a gated community. Preston Sprinkle's a pretty good writer, wouldn't you say? <laughs> but there's something about those words. That it Doesn't that just seem... Like, yeah, yeah. So um, I went to a Christian high school, thanks to my parents and a scholarship. And uh, then I went to a secular university that I was on scholarship uh, as well and um, discovered really fast that squeaky clean Christians uh, are not really liked <laughs> in the world of academia. It's so weird. Um, but my views were not uh, enjoyed in the discussions. I was laughed at a lot because I said stupid squeaky clean Christian things. I was really stupid and squeaky clean. That's just, <laughs> you know, naive and, and cutesy and whatever. And I learned that real fast. I failed a couple papers, almost lost my scholarship because I used the Bible as a reference. You know, Middle East conflict, <laughs> I refer to the Old Testament. It's not a real source, apparently. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so when you're teetering on almost losing your scholarship and having to work out your faith in the real world, you know, you start to really look at your own life. So I had this great friend there and um, me uh, one, one day she said to me, you know, I, I don't want to have lunch with you anymore. We were having lunch together most days. And I was like, really? 
Now she was breaking up with me as a friend. She said, I don't, I don't want to have lunch with you because I look at you and I feel bad about what I did last night. Now, one response could be, yeah, you should. That's my holiness, like <laughs> convicting you. <laughs> Yay, Christian, right? That could be a valid response. Actually, what my heart felt like was, if I don't have lunch with you, you stop having lunch with the Holy Spirit. This is not good. I don't want her to feel bad about what she did last night. I want her to crave the love of God. It grieved me. So when I graduated from uni, uh, college, you call it, um, I thought, I need to fix myself. (laughs) And I designed a little cool design that I was going to get as a tattoo, and I was going to pierce my eyebrow. This was my plan for being cool. It was the early 90s, and it was cool back then. And, um, and so I, I had this great plan about how to become more relevant because I didn't want to lose unsafe friends because I was too squeaky clean. You hear my heart? It's good, right? However, my dad, <laughs> I already knew what he thought about those things and he was not a supporter of them um, because for his generation, they represented rebellion. Um, they represented Eastern religions. Um, they represented... Uh, attitude, like an attitude. And I just knew this conversation was not going to go well. So I talked to dad about it and he listened and he said, what does God say about it? At first I was a little defensive because I thought, well, of course God's going to agree with you, dad. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) haven't you, anyone remember that feeling where you're like, I know God's on your side. Yay. Um, but actually, he, he was so genuine. What, what has God said? I, ha- I haven't prayed about it. And he's like, well, you need to ask him. So I did. And in that, you know, I was like 20, what do you, how old are you when you graduate college? 22, around there. And I'd grown up knowing the Lord. But as a 22-year-old, I had my first, like, identity-defining conversation with God because he spoke to me about my calling the plans he had for me the things he was going to have me do he spoke to my heart about why he had made me and what he said to me was you think by getting those things you will reach more people but actually you won't and in that moment I felt total freedom to get them or not get but to understand that God had no hoops for me But he had a plan. You know, my dad could have said, no daughter of mine, not under my roof. He could have pulled out all of those hoops, right? But in that moment, he laid down his hoops and he pointed me to God. So glad that my dad had the courage and strength to do that. That took a lot. And I believe that he would have loved me through it all, no matter what I'd chosen. But I didn't get them done. I didn't get the tattoo. I didn't get the piercing. Not because it's wrong, not because it's hoops, not because I was earning God's favor, but because he'd spoken to me about me. That's all. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be like my dad. (laughs) I want to have no hoops. When it comes down to it, I think 
the hoops that we hold up for each other are like a static formula. Do these three things and you'll do well. Right? about the exact same situation and the Spirit will have you say something totally different and you'll be like, well, that's weird. I think I just contradicted what I said yesterday to another person. Have you ever had that where you're like, I, I'm contradicting my... Because God is an intimate, individualized Father God for each of us, right? And he has individual things to say to each of us. So if we are looking at each other and tolerating and holding out hoops... We are missing the personalized word from the Lord that God has for us. We hold each other at arm's length. Because here's the thing. Can I tell you who I like the Holy Spirit to use in my life? People who like me. That's always nice, isn't it? When someone who just loves you comes and has a word, even a word of correction. Because it comes with a hug. And you know that they're going to love you tomorrow no matter what. So I love those people. You know who I don't like the Holy Spirit using? People who don't like me. (laughs) It's never fun to have those conversations. Great. I'm so glad you told me that. I know you don't like me. But they can often deliver a word from the Holy Spirit more precisely than someone who's clouded by love feelings for me and don't want to give the harsh word. Truth? So we can hold out hoops as we minister to people. My dad could have made me jump through hoops to please him and please God. And in the same way, I can hold out hoops for people who are trying to minister to me. Well, you know what? You're not that mature in the Lord, so I don't know that I should listen to you. And anyway, I didn't like your dress last week. It was a little revealing. (laughs) So I don't think the Holy Spirit can use you. You know, whatever we do, do you know what I'm saying? Hoops, hoops. I hope that every time you see hula hoops, we, we think about this now. Go buy a pink hula hoop and hang it up somewhere in your house. <laughs> and remember, hoops are not relationship. Hoops are tolerance. They're static. They're dead. They're the old. We don't want to be like the Jerusalem council, right? It didn't end well. The Gentile church isn't hardly doing any of the stuff that they said was essential, What they should have said, honestly, was study the word, spend time in his presence, be people who love. If you do these things, you will do well. Come over for dinner next week. That's how the letter should have gone, (laughs) right? People are not going to look like you. It's okay. It's okay. God's bigger than that. People are not going to act like you. It's okay. I know it's uncomfortable, but God can use anyone, even you, (laughs) even me, a donkey. I mean, God's used all kinds of things, right? So, Luke 9, it just comes down to this. Let's be mindful to look for hoops. I think it's crept into our lives. You know what I mean? I, I, I know a lot of you fairly well, and I don't feel like I, there are many judgmental people in our church family. I've not felt that. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like we're, we're quite loving. And yet I think we've let hoops creep back in just a little. You know? 
Um, I think it's just easy to do. I think, I think staying inside the house and watching the spirit through the window takes a lot less energy than going outside and getting skin in the game and being in his presence. You know, so we're tired and we just kind of hang out at home with our hoops. <laughs> so I just want to put before us as a family that we would be mindful to look for the hoops that we're judging each other with. And not just each other, the world. People that don't know Jesus really do not need hoops. They need Jesus, love and grace. If they taste his love, they will see his holiness. If they taste your holiness, they may never see his love. Right? Yeah. And that's it. Can we pray together? You feeling okay? Okay. Oh, Spirit, I just... Holy Spirit, thank you that you don't require us to jump through hoops to please you. Jesus, thank you that you died for us. You set us free and that we're covered by your blood. Show us how to walk that out more and more as we pour your grace and love out to the people in our lives, God. I just want to be that vessel, Lord. My children need me to live that way. My husband needs me to live that way. My friends, my family, my community. I just need that, God. Help me to tear down the hoops, to break them, to smash them, to get rid of them, Lord. Make us, God, like you. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. I, I need to take a minute. Uh, there's a reason why I wanted that sermon to be the one that followed this last one. I mean, I had a plan and all that kind of stuff. I want to say something. I think that the Lord is starting a conversation in this body. We have been very serious about becoming committed to and heading ourselves, setting our face towards Jerusalem, setting our face towards that work that gets us into the world, that, that gets us empowered, that gets us moving in the things of God. Uh, I'm, I, I, I even, I'm going to bring this up because the thing that happened with Babette and I a few weeks ago was outstanding. It was horrible and very difficult for her, and I still feel terrible about it. But I want to say something. I think God did that on purpose. I put that in the letter that I sent out, but I think that God was starting something here. He was starting a conversation, and the conversation is, is that when you get into the world, it gets messy. And it gets messy in ways that just offend. And this is, I'm not talking about Babette at all. I want to say this. Different personality types hear that message and what things I said last week. God doesn't care about your sin. They hear that in certain ways. And it's almost impossible to get over that hurdle. Because they think, no, there's doctrine. No, there's this. No, there's that. No, there's this. And if I was here and I was preaching the message that that would be, then there would be other people in here that would be impossible to get over. But what about grace? But what about the way that God deals with us individually? But what about that moment when, not just to two different people, but to the same person, you say something to somebody at one moment in time because it's the thing that God led you to say, and then two days later you're having a conversation with them and you say the exact opposite thing and you're not actually contradicting yourself but your being is obedient 
because at one moment in time they needed to hear that word and at the next moment in time they needed to hear the other word and what we're trying to become as we're becoming empowered saints is sensitive we're trying to become the kind of people that when God goes the softest breath we catch it we hear it and we become it and we don't let our hoops we don't let our traditions we don't let our experience we don't let our biases we don't let our doctrine get in the way of God doing what he wants to do do, do remember something and, and Justine could have brought it up there was so much as we've talked about it but do remember that that meat sacrifice to idols when you say Jerusalem council was a bad letter you understand theologically it's on very solid ground you know why Paul himself argues against that very point and successfully so right he says it's actually a sign of a weak conscience that that should be an issue with somebody you hear it so this is good doctrine this is good theology this is good praxis means practical working out of it and what I want to say is and what I think God is doing is this I really do believe this with all of my heart I believe that God is going to challenge every single person in here I don't care if you come from a legalistic sort of doctrine type basis or I don't think if you come from all grace and love and whatever basis I think God is going to challenge every single one of us and I think he's going to bring us up against ourselves because he wants to empty us of ourselves. He wants us to see that whatever it is that we have, it's getting in the way of him being able to do whatever he wants. You see it? I really believe this, you guys. That's why I wanted this sermon. That was incredible and spoken so beautifully. And just, but, but, but here's the point. It wasn't you, it was God. He's starting a conversation in us so that we can become His in any way that He wants to use us. This is where we're going. This is what He's doing. I'm just telling you, you know, hold on to your hats. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Okay? There's going to be things that you're going to find in yourself. I, I just need to say one last thing and then I'll move on. I want to preach the sermon again. But what I get out of her sermon is, is if you love somebody, you won't keep them at arm's distance. You'll come near and you'll work through. Right? You won't say, it's okay, you go over into your corner and do your thing and I'll go over to my corner and I'll do my thing because that isn't one. And Jesus didn't do that with you and me. He came into our corner and he brought us back into the middle. He brought us out into the open, into the public, into that bright sunshine day. And so I'm just telling you, I, this is just a, uh, I, I need to say one more thing before I pray and we take offering and do communion. Uh, she said at the very beginning of her thing how it is that she was preaching here today. And I want to say something. If you believe that you're supposed to, have, that you have a sermon here, you need to send it to me. It says in the Bible, if you want to be an elder, make it known. This thing about this self-deprecating and all this kind of stuff, I get it. Be humble, you know. And understand, I may not use you. I, I'm sorry. I'm really going to try and do whatever the Lord tells me to do. Okay? So please don't be offended if I don't. Please just pray. If you, if you think I'm wrong, please pray for me. I, there's nobody that needs it more. 
But the point is, is we're on this journey together and we're opening up. And what I'm saying is, is if you think you have something, do not wait for me to know that. I am not that spiritual. I'm not that smart. If you think you have something, I'm asking you, give me about two paragraphs. If you give me five pages, I love you. I'll get to it as soon as I can. But give me a couple of good paragraphs on what this is. And I tell you what I'll do with them. I, I, I can show you right now in my notes what I do with it. I stick them into a note thing. And every time I'm praying about what's supposed to happen next, I look at those things and I pray. And God will bring one of them out. And that's how come it feels like every week is building on the last week. Because we're letting God be the one who's selecting the sermons. So if you've got something, I'm asking you, even if you don't think you can do it, don't worry about it. I'll help you. You will do well because God will be with you and you can do anything when he's with you, okay? So I'm asking you, get those into me, okay? All right, do we get it? Are we good for this? Are you good to be a family? Are you good to go on this journey together with one another? If you are, say amen. Can I get it again? Amen. Okay, this is a cool thing that's happening. I've been a pastor for a long time and I've been members of churches for a long time and I don't remember this any other time ever. I feel like God has got control of us and he's moving us more than I've ever felt in any situation before. And I'm just going to tell you, I've, I've felt something similar and it goes unbelievable places. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation embraces your conversation. We embrace what it is that you're trying to do. We embrace who you are. We embrace that you are infinite. We are finite. We get things all figured out just perfectly. And we're perfectly wrong. And what we want to be is decrease that you might increase. What we want to be is empty that you might fill. What we want to be is instruments wielded beautifully by your most subtle touch. We want to be Christians, not just in name, but in fullness of being. Followers of Christ, followers of the Holy Spirit, followers of your perfect and beautiful will, Heavenly Father. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, take this communion together, would you?